Songs matter. That's the thrust of this sermon series anyway. Songs matter. And so today we are going to look briefly at two songs of justice from Scripture. Songs that celebrate God's presence in the midst of impossible situations. Songs that celebrate God's work for justice, making possible what had once been thought impossible. Our first passage is from chapter 15 in the book of Exodus, the Song of Miriam. When the horses of Pharaoh, with his chariots and his chariot drivers, went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them, but the Israelites walked through the sea on dry ground. Then the prophet Miriam, Aaron's sister, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and with dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for the Lord has triumphed gloriously. Horse and rider the Lord has thrown into the sea. And our scripture passage from the New Testament comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, a familiar text, the Song of Mary, Mary's Magnificat, that we hear most frequently at Christmas time. And here it is, a song of justice. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For God has looked with favor on the lowliness of this servant. Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is God's name. God's mercy is for those who fear the Lord from generation to generation. God has shown the strength of God's arm. God has scattered the proud in the thoughts of the hearts. God has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. God has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. God has helped God's servant Israel in remembrance of God's mercy, according to the promise that God made to our ancestors, to Abraham and his descendants forever. And Mary remained there about three months with her cousin Elizabeth and then returned to her home. Please pray with me. God, help us to hear your song of justice, sung even now in our midst. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Songs matter. Songs express what words alone cannot. Songs push us to action and reframe how we see the world. We sing to voice our own sorrows, and we sing to voice the sorrow of others. We sing to be shaped by God's story. And we sing to give voice to the God in whom we live and move and have our being, 
who is again and again on the side of the poor and the oppressed. Songs matter. And so when we ask hard questions like, how should we live our lives in this complex and beautiful and broken world? Songs of justice from people like Miriam and Mary give us a path forward. By songs of justice, I mean songs that celebrate freedom. By songs of justice, I mean songs that capture the Christian vocation using the language of love and right relationship and united action. By songs of justice, I mean songs that don't promise pie in the sky, but instead promise real change for the sake of those who are suffering injustice now. And justice is a central concern of the Bible. From slavery in Egypt to captivity in Babylon to oppression under the Roman Empire, we hear how God cares for the poor and the oppressed, the powerless and the defenseless. And we know from the 20th century what happens when power and violence win. You get the Holocaust against the Jewish people, you get Hiroshima and Nagasaki, you get the killing and destruction in South Africa and Vietnam and Northern Ireland and Iran and Israel and Bosnia and Croatia and Rwanda and in the lynching fields of our own country. God is on the side of the poor and the oppressed, those for whom justice is a matter of life and death. The call to justice is a defining part of our faith at Kenilworth Union Church, too, literally carved in stone above our cloister walk. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice and love kindness and walk humbly with God? Our church affirms. But the most ancient songs of justice aren't rooted in words alone, but are rooted in stories. Take Miriam, for example. Her mother lived in poverty, under the yoke of slavery and under threat of death. But it wasn't her mother they threatened to kill. It was Miriam's younger brother, just three months old. All the baby boys born to Hebrew mothers were under threat of death because the Pharaoh knew that baby boys grew up to be men. And men, even enslaved men, had the potential to claim the holy and impossible freedom owed them as fellow human beings in the common project of being alive. But Hebrew men, to the Pharaoh at least, were only worth the economic value that they brought to the mud-brick fields where they labored. And so they were not valued as human beings with inherent worth. And Miriam's mother knew that her baby boy had a better chance of survival if she sent him down the river, and so she did. 
She placed him in a waterproof basket, and with nothing but a hope and a prayer, she sent him downriver. And scripture says his older sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Miriam stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. So that's where we first meet Miriam, Moses' big sister, at water's edge. And it's no surprise that we meet her again several chapters later and many decades later, standing at the water's edge again. This time on the other side of the Red Sea, on the other side of freedom, singing a song of praise to God, celebrating the ways in which God and her people triumphed over the Pharaoh's unjust system and made way to freedom. It wasn't a straightforward path to freedom, of course. It wasn't ask and you shall receive. It was ask and ask and ask again and then finally run for your lives. Moses, who grew up in the Pharaoh's court, could have stayed there. He could have lived under the guise of freedom, a Hebrew man with just enough power and just enough privilege to skirt by. Maybe saying something like, my mom made mud bricks, so I didn't have to. But instead, Moses' eyes were open to the suffering of his people, and despite the fact that he felt ill-equipped, he stood up to Pharaoh, saying, let my people go. But the Pharaoh said, no. Let my people go, and the Pharaoh said, no. Let my people go. And the Pharaoh said yes, only to quickly change his mind and send the army after them. But Pharaoh's army doesn't make it across the Red Sea. And so Miriam sings, horse and rider are thrown into the sea, praise the Lord. Her song, what scholars think is likely the most ancient remnant of scripture, the oldest words in our holy text, celebrates the first moment of freedom the people of the Hebrew race have had for over 400 years. 400 years of slavery, a number of import that does not escape my notice in this season when we are remembering the 400-year anniversary, 1619, of a of American slavery. Miriam's song is a song of impossible and hoped for safety out of danger, impossible and hoped for freedom out of enslavement. Hers is the first and foundational song of justice that we hear repeated over and over again until it's built upon in Mary's story when Mary is told that nothing is impossible with God. Because Mary, too, is another flat-broke mother whose infant son was threatened by the emperor, who had to flee for her life, run with her newborn baby to escape the Roman Empire, who was threatening to kill her small son and all the baby boys of Bethlehem. So Mary sings a song of justice, this time before her infant son is born, 
because she knows even then that the God of justice is on her side. She knows even then that she is carrying within her a song of freedom. Mary's Magnificat echoes the ancient song of Miriam singing again of God's possibility in the midst of impossibility. Mary's song makes intentionally visible the connection between Miriam's ancient song and her own, between Exodus and Bethlehem. Mary worships and bears that same liberating and world-transforming God who we meet in the story of Miriam. And as we think about the songs of justice from Scripture, it becomes obvious that it's no accident that most of our songs of justice in American hymnody are from times in our country's history when we were wrestling with the unjust systems of oppression that held and hold black bodies captive. Whether during the era of slavery or Reconstruction or Jim Crow or mass incarceration, The hymn, Go Down Moses, for example, was used by Harriet Tubman to identify herself to slaves who might want to flee north. Frederick Douglass, a 19th century abolitionist and former slave, wrote that when he sang the hymn, O Canaan, sweet Canaan, I am bound for the land of Canaan. Some onlookers might have thought he was praying to reach heaven when really what he meant was that he was praying to reach the north to escape the confines of injustice under slavery. The north was our Canaan, he said. And this week, as people took to the nation's capital to remember the 1963 March on Washington that culminated in Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech and pressed for and led to federal civil rights legislation, It's impossible to see those 1963 images and not hear in our minds voices singing, we shall overcome another song of justice from American hymnody, originally written in 1901 by a black preacher from Philadelphia named Reverend Charles Tindley with a tune with roots in a melody set by Beethoven. The song, We Shall Overcome, was used in the 1940s when black women in Charleston, South Carolina, were striking in protest of unjust labor laws at a cigar factory there, and then became ubiquitous during the civil rights era, and has been sung here in our sanctuary as a way to remember and celebrate the ways in which justice has been made known in this country, as well as a way to pray that more justice might come. Every generation must seek in their own ways to love one another, to live into that commandment to do justice and love kindness and walk humbly with our God. We are not the first to face horrible situations, situations that feel out of control, in which injustice is the norm and justice must be pursued with renewed energy and imagination and persistence. 
in a week when another black man is shot by police and when an armed white man is implicitly considered a helper instead of a threat by police, we have a lot of work to do to untangle what justice looks like in the days and weeks ahead. As Christians, we sing songs of justice to voice our own sorrows and to give voice to the sorrows of others. We sing songs of justice to reshape our own lives, to commit again to the path of justice that God seeks for us, and to draw near to our God who is again and again on the side of the poor and the oppressed, the people like Miriam and Mary who have nowhere else to turn. We sing songs of justice so that we might begin to align ourselves with that God of justice, and more deeply seek for ourselves and for each other the possibilities of freedom and hope and new life, here and now. May we sing songs of justice, and may we be changed. Amen. <laughs>